Hello, thanks for joining the Hoosier Myths and Legends podcast. I'm Rebecca Wilhelm. I'm Mary Quigley. And I'm Hope Wilhelm. Join us as we dive into the spookier side of the Hoosier state. So what comes to your mind when you think of Indiana? Do you think of corn? Do you think of basketball? Do you think of the Indianapolis 500? Maybe you think of famous celebrities who were born in Indiana, like John Mellencamp or Michael Jackson. But as the saying goes, there is more than corn in Indiana. 92 counties make up the Hoosier state. In this podcast, we are going to discuss some Indiana folklore from each of these counties. If you are into tall tales, ghosts, or spooky legends, then this is a podcast you are not going to want to miss. This episode is from Northwest Indiana. This is a legend that is going to sound familiar to many Lake and Porter County residents. The Dune State Park has a well-known urban legend and a possible ghost associated with it. Located in northwest Indiana, the park is gorgeous and has 15 miles of beaches along the shores of Lake Michigan. According to the Indiana Department of Natural Resources website, the park was founded in 1925. The Dune State Park is famous for its 192-foot sand dune that is nicknamed Mount Tom. The Dunes is a very popular spot for swimming, hiking, camping, fishing, and bird watching. In fact, many travel websites such as TripAdvisor rank the Indiana State Dunes beaches as some of the very best beaches you can visit in the United States. In fact, the allure of the park was so strong that it caused a young woman to give up a life of high society and luxury, preferring instead to camp and live off of the land in the dunes. In this episode, we are going to discuss the legend of Diana of the Dunes and why some people think that not even death could separate Diana from the dunes she so loved. In 1915, people who lived in the towns along the shores of Lake Michigan began spotting a young woman swimming or even jogging in the nude along the beach shore. She was seen between the Miller Beach area of Gary, around Chesterton, and all the way up to Michigan City. She was rumored to live alone along the beach and fished and lived off the land. Naturally, people in the area were very curious about this young woman. Who was she and where had she come from? People all over northwest Indiana and even Chicago were hearing rumors of this young woman. Locals in the area began to call her Diana of the Dunes, after the mythical Roman goddess Diana. In Roman mythology, Diana is goddess of hunting wild animals and the moon. It seems like the perfect nickname for a woman who was living off of the land. 
Eventually, reporters from Chicago went over to northwest Indiana in search of this mysterious woman, and they found her. The young woman gave an interview in 1915 with the Chicago Tribune. She even allowed them to take pictures of her. At first, she was very glad to speak to the reporters. The young woman known as Diana was actually named Alice Mabel Gray, and she was from a very prominent and wealthy Chicago family. Some sources, such as Ronald Baker's book, Hoosier Folklore, say that her father was a very well-known and highly respected Chicago doctor. The Chesterton Tribune website also says that it's possible her father was a steel mill supervisor over one of the South Chicago mills. However, neither of the Chicago Tribune articles I found during my research mention any of this. The newspaper revisited this article and titled it Diana of the Dunes back on July 2nd, 2014. We are going to post a link to this article on our website under our source notes. I think you listeners are going to be as fascinated as we are about these pictures of Alice. When I look at the pictures of her, what stands out to me the most is that she was definitely a beautiful lady and looked at peace on the beach. I am impressed with the photos of her hut. She seems like she was a strong lady to be able to live out there in the wild all alone. Yes, that hut that she lived in was a 10 by 10 sand floor shack. She told the Chicago Tribune that she nicknamed her little hut Driftwood. Honestly, looking at the photographs, she seems so happy and so carefree. And it's amazing to see in the photo the little camp she had set up for herself. According to the Chicago Tribune 1915 interview, Alice was a graduate of Chicago University. Alice was considered gifted in mathematics and spoke several different languages. Something else I found interesting is that at one time she worked at the U.S. Naval Observatory in Chicago. So was it common for people to live out there full time at the lakeshore? Yes, according to my research, this was actually a very common practice. There were many people who would set up little shacks or even just sleep out there on the beach. There were a lot of artists and creative types of people who were drawn to the dunes. However, a beautiful young woman living alone up there was very strange, even for the time period. And no one lived out there during the winter, but Alice did. And this is what caused her to be so very well known. Over time, this attention was not wanted by Alice, who had come out there for a quiet life. According to the Chicago Tribune article, Alice made the decision to live permanently along the dunes in October of 1915. But why would she do this? Well, Alice did not like the busy hustle and bustle of Chicago city life, and she was also an educated young woman in a time period before women even had the right to vote. In her interview with the Chicago Tribune, Alice said, I was tired of working under the conditions and the lighting in offices, so I came out here. Then I wished never to go back to Chicago, to the learned and to the officious. Out in the dunes, I wish to regain my poise once more and trust. I think it's very interesting that the Tribune article says that Alice would still sometimes visit Chicago to go to the museums. She would not stay, though. She was also known to go to the library on Lake Street and Miller because she loved books, and she would visit shops around the towns for things she needed. However, Alice did not like to be away for too long from the dunes. She explained in her Chicago Tribune interview that when she was away from the beach, she missed the silence and darkness out there, and that those two things about the dunes are what she loved the most. Yes, Alice was not one to stay too long away from her beloved dunes. She admitted to the Chicago Tribune that when she was away, all she kept thinking to herself was, I must go back to them at once. Something I really admire about Alice is that she was very outspoken about how important it was to preserve the dunes. 
The Chesterton Tribune website has an article called Alice Gray, Woman of the Dunes. There is a quote from Alice in 1917 that they have posted that I love. Alice said about the dunes, Besides its nearness to Chicago and its beauty, its spiritual power, there is between the dune country and the city a more than sentimental bond, a family tie. To see the dunes destroyed would be for Chicago the sacrilegious sin which is not forgiven. Alice was one of the very first people to be advocate for the dunes being saved and not destroyed by the construction she was seeing all around her as Gary and other communities were being built up. Yes, the construction would have been a concern, but Alice was very concerned with the environment and she was very educated and very familiar with the area. Alice would have been very familiar with what happened to a sand dune that was called the Hoosier Slide over in Michigan City during her lifetime. Wasn't the Hoosier Slide taken by the Ball Brothers to create their famous blue glass mason jars? Yes, the Hoosier Slide was a 200-foot sand dune that had been located in Michigan City. By 1920, the Hoosier Slide was leveled. Alice did not want to see this happen to her beloved dunes. If you go out to Michigan City today, you will see a power plant along the lake. That is the exact location that the Hoosier Slide once stood. It's completely level now and flat ground. No sign of the dune. Wow, that is crazy. So things took a dark turn for Alice when she met a man named Paul Wilson. He is called Drifter in the Chicago Tribune articles. From Googling this term, it means someone who just wanders. He did not have a permanent home. The Chicago Tribune article shows a picture of Paul Wilson with his foot bandaged up. From my research, he seems to be someone who did not have the greatest reputation. He was well known to local law enforcement in the area. He had even served time up in the Michigan City prison. Apparently, he was even suspected in the murder of a man whose body washed ashore in 1921. But apparently, he was acquitted. The Chicago Tribune picture shows him with his foot bandaged up. He got into a scuffle with a boatman and a Gary police officer, and the officer shot him in the foot. It also says in the article that Alice was taken to the hospital with skull fractures in the scuffle. The article does not say how Alice got injured. Yes, sadly, some of the stories claim that Alice was never the same again after this skull injury. Some of the legends you find online say that Paul and Alice ended up having two daughters together. Yes, I have heard that, but I have never found any research that confirms the children existed for certain. However, the one thing every article seems to be consistent about is that their relationship was not a happy one. Wilson was well known by police, and it was well known that he abused Alice. One day in February of 1925, shop owners, the library, and local police realized it had been a while since anyone had seen Alice. She usually stopped in these places at least weekly. Police went to check on her and found her dead in her shack. Alice's death is listed as uremic poisoning. According to the Chesterton Tribune website, there was a presenter named Ted Urey who did a talk about Diana of the Dunes. He presented at the Duneland Folk Festival back in 1977 and explained that Wilson beat Alice so hard in her stomach the night she died that it caused kidney damage. We will be sure to post a link to the Chesterton Tribune article on our website. Yes, some reports claim that she passed away in Wilson's arms, but the Chesterton Tribune website says that was not true because he was arrested the night that she passed and he was in jail. However, I find it absolutely ridiculous that he was released and he was even able to attend Alice's funeral. 
where he pulled a gun on two newspaper reporters and got himself arrested again during the service. Yeah, it is crazy that there are no reports of Wilson serving any time for Alice's death. Alice was buried in Oak Lawn Cemetery in Gary in an unmarked grave. One year later, Wilson was shot by police when he attempted to hold up a business along US-6. So ends the story of Diana, of the Dunes. However, many people believe that this is not where the story ends. For many decades since Alice's death, people in the area have spoken of seeing the ghost of a beautiful woman. She is always seen either sunbathing, jogging on one of the beaches, or swimming in the nude. She is said to disappear from view almost as quickly as she is spotted. People have often tried to approach her thinking that she's a real person, but if you get too close, she'll vanish before your eyes. Many people to this day say that it is the spirit of Diana watching over her beloved dunes to make sure it is not being destroyed. Do you have a Diana of the Dunes sighting to tell? Have you seen anything strange out at the dunes? We would love to hear about it. Please send us an email to whosyourmythsandlegends at gmail.com. We may use it in a later episode. In the email, let us know if you wish to remain anonymous. source material, please visit our website, whosyourmissandlegends.com. Please find us and follow us on Facebook or on Instagram. Our theme song was written and recorded by Wet Blanket. The song title is Taxidermy Race Car. Wet Blanket is frontman Joseph Carpenter, lead guitar Earl Wilhelm, rhythm guitar Joshua Carpenter, bass Parker Warman, and drums Christian Kittle. Thanks for all of the positive feedback on our first two episodes. We really appreciate all of our listeners. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us through. Thank you for tuning in to Hoosier Myths and Legends. As always, stay spooky.